Hello everyone, you're listening to Employment Matters, a podcast brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm your host, Raymond Lowe, partner at Chandler Lamont Co. Along with bringing you updates and critical events happening around the world, we are also fortunate to have the chance to touch base with our local ELA lawyers. Our local ELA lawyers are always on the ground in various countries, providing legal solutions to help their local clients navigate through employment issues. Today, we have a special guest from Singapore to discuss about 20 issues concerning employment policies. Joining me today is Chi Yang from Wong Partnership, LLP. Chi Yang is a disputes lawyer with vast experience in advising on and acting in employment and workplace disputes in Singapore. Welcome Chi Yang, good to have you today on the show. Hello from Singapore, thank you Raymond for having me. Well, Xiang, let's start by asking you about employment policies. I understand that Singapore has a recent high court decision on whether employment policies in the workplace ought to be binding or not. Could you just give us a brief overview of this recent case? Sure. So in the high court case of Kalivala Private Naya versus GlaxoSmithKline Consumer Healthcare Private Limited, the Singapore High Court recently considered a very important employment issue as to whether an employment policy in the workplace is legally binding in nature by virtue of being an employed term. And the High Court held that there is no implied term at law that an internal policy would be contractually binding. Now, this case was in the context of the implied term of mutual trust and confidence. So therefore, if an internal policy clearly states that it is to be non-binding in nature, an employee may not succeed when suing for breach of terms of such a policy. In respect of this case specifically, it was about policies concerning equal opportunities and redundancy benefits. I see. Now, uh, employment specialists, most of them are very well aware of this concept of implied mutual trust and confidence. It is a very wide concept. But could you explain the rationale for this particular decision? Yes. So the High Court was of the view that upholding this implied term that policies are binding would be too far-reaching for Singapore employment law in that it would affect the private sector, public sector, and charity sector. If an implied term of such a nature was recognized in law, there would be a precedent for companies to be contractually bound by their own policies pursuant to such an implied term. Well, this calls into question a very fundamental concern for employers, not only in Singapore, but in surrounding jurisdictions. When to state that a company policy is binding or not binding? Could you elaborate? Yes, that is a real concern. So ultimately, a balance would need to be struck as to which policies expressly should be stated to be binding or non-binding. It may bring to bear the question of what consequences are envisaged. For example, if disciplinary action is intended to be taken for non-compliance very strictly, then the policy is better off being binding in nature. Now, would there be any good examples that you could share as to you know when it should be binding or not binding? Yes. So for example, a policy that should be binding would be your data protection policy. This is to ensure that the business has imposed sufficient means to comply with the Personal Data Protection Act in Singapore. 
It is also one of the first documents which the Personal Data Protection Commission will ask to see in the event of any personal data breaches anyway. So other binding policies that will be helpful would typically include workplace safety policies, anti-bribery corruption policies, where strict disciplinary action would be contemplated due to regulatory compliance or concerns. Then we have, on the other hand, other policies which may not necessarily need to be binding, such as your employment handbook, which you frequently revise, your disciplinary policy, and even your redundancy policy in Singapore. Why is this the case? This is to provide more flexibility to the employee relationship and function more as a guidance aspirational matter. To cite an instance, when you have a disciplinary policy, if it is stated to be binding and is not followed, things can go wrong because any lapses by the company to comply strictly with its own disciplinary policy and process can then invite or result in wrongful termination claims. Therefore, it would be helpful for an organization to have a think about all its policies and which ones it should classify as binding or non-binding. Now, Chiyang, when it comes to employment policies or even handbooks, taking it a step further, some employers may prefer to place restrictive covenants, and these will be non-compete clauses, confidentiality clauses, in such policies rather than the main contract. Would you have any strong views on that? Yes, I do, actually. So from a Singapore law perspective, that is not advisable in my view. A common challenge to such restraints is that it is intended to be anti-competition rather than to protect the business's legitimate interests. Moreover, if the handbook contains a restrictive covenant which applies to all employees via a one-size-fits-all approach, the courts traditionally frown on this approach and have opined that it is an indication of anti-competition intent. I see. What if we have another situation where handbooks provide specifically that differentiates the level of restrictive activities based on seniority of the employee? Now, would that work? Well, that would help to reduce the risk, but the risk would still ultimately remain and it would be preferable for the restrictive covenant to be stated in the contract itself so that it is clear that it is contractually binding. Further, the restraint period, scope and activities should be tailored according to the seniority and activities of each employee in question. Certain employers may take a step further to argue that it would be much easier to amend such covenants or clauses via policy or handbook rather than to persuade their employees to sign a fresh agreement. Well, wouldn't it be easier to use a, the handbook approach in this case? Well, I would identify this practice as being highly risky, actually. This is because if more onerous restrictions are being added or imposed, then the employee can argue that there was a failure of consideration for such new terms and that these amended terms are not binding at all. And in this regard, there is a legal debate you know, as to whether continued employment can be a source of legal consideration so that the employer can bind the employee to the amended restrictive covenants. But this is not settled under Singapore law and legally carries significant risks today. Well, Ji Yang, leaving case law and policies aside, you know, have there been any other interesting you know, employment or immigration developments in Singapore? Yes, so leaving aside contractual policies in line with Singapore's labour policies to become 
uh, Global Talent Hub, there have been significant changes in the realm of granting work passes to foreigners. So starting from 1st September 2022 this year, the advertising period to local candidates has been halved from 28 days to 14 days under the Fair Consideration Framework. Also, starting from 1st January next year, 2023, there will be a new five-year work pass known as the One Work Pass for high earners and specified areas of work. We've never had such a long pass mm. before. And then moving on to September 2023, when you are experienced technology professional or your skills are in shortage, you may be able to apply for a longer five-year employment pass instead of the usual two years. Although by that time, all employment pass candidates must also pass a new points-based assessment, which is known as COMPASS. Focusing on the points-based system, which you just mentioned, I find that very, very interesting. It suggests a move towards a quantitative-based assessment for employment passes. Could you shed some, uh, some more light into, as to how the points are scored? Yes, happy to do so. So the candidate will need to meet a passing score of 40 points. It's like taking an exam with different grades. In this exam, the assessment will score points based on the candidate's salary and qualifications, as well as other employer-based considerations. So just to illustrate, if the salary is in the low, mid or upper percentage, the candidate can receive 0, 10 or 20 points respectively. However, these points also will be gathered from other areas such as whether the employee is from a top-tier institution or possesses no degree, right? And for the employer's end, it needs to watch out for the diversity of its foreign employees within its organization in terms of nationality and also its share of local hires as compared to its sector based on percentile. So depending on how good or how poor they are, then you would get you know, 0, 10 or 20 points for these areas. Finally, on top of these points, bonus points can be awarded if the skill set is in short supply or it meets specific assessment criteria on innovation or internationalization activities. Sounds very compelling. You know, for employers that are interested to get more information, uh, when can they expect to, you know, for more information to be released? Would there be any exceptions? Yes. So we would expect additional criteria to be released in March next year. And a self-assessment tool will also be rolled out by the Ministry of Manpower closer to the unveiling date in September 2023. As for now, we know just a few exceptions from this compass scoring. It would be if first, the employee earns at least $22,500 in fixed monthly salary. Second, is an overseas intra-corporate transfer under the WTO regime. Or third, the end candidate is simply filling the role on a short-term basis, which is one month or less. Well, Shiyang, as always, it's great to have you on this show. Just thank you very much for sharing such, such a comprehensive answers and insights with our listeners. Thank you, Raymond. It was great to be on the podcast. If you are interested to find out about Chi Yang, please click on his biography in this description of this podcast. Also visit the ELA website at ela.law where you can sign up to attend our upcoming webinars, download white papers and on-demand content from our online library, or even assess the highly popular ELA Global Employer Handbook. 
You have been listening to Employment Matters, a podcast brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm Raymond Lowe. Thank you very much for listening.